welcome back to Hear Me Out, Pesticide Safety and Environmental Education. Today, I'm going to have Alex Carlson from the Metropolitan Mosquito Control District joining me to talk about mosquito controls and some misconceptions surrounding them. Great, my name is Alex Carlson and I'm the Public Affairs Manager with the Metropolitan Mosquito Control District. I've been in this position for three years, just over three years. Uh, right before the pandemic started. So I've had a kind of a unique path here, but my background is actually in communications. Uh, I did work in nonprofit communications before coming to MMCD. So I'm still learning a lot about mosquitoes as I go, but it's been a, a fascinating and a really fun learning experience. And uh, I've, I get to sit next to our entomologists and uh, the people in the lab who really have a wealth of knowledge as well as our field professionals as well, who, um, have been working at uh, doing mosquito control in the Twin Cities. Cumulatively, we've, we've been in the Twin Cities for uh, over 60 years. Wow. So I feel like I'm a little similar because I'm in like pesticide safety, environmental education position, but I never, I didn't come from like an agricultural background or like knew much about farmings or pesticides. So I feel like I'm more in like the communications education outreach side of things. So I feel like we can relate to, I don't have all the technical knowledge yet of pesticide safety, but. Yeah. It's surprising how little I knew when I started. So I'm glad, I'm glad they took a chance with me. Um, Cause yeah. it's, I, but I have learned a lot since, and I feel confident that I can speak on a lot of uh, mosquito related topics now. Mm -hmm. You were more interested in communication. So like what, what got you into the mosquito control district. It's a great question. So when I was I was looking at uh, a job transition, and um, this job came up, and it had a lot of it checked a lot of the boxes that I was looking for. Uh, it had uh, obviously the communication side of things, getting to do interviews, um, getting to speak to people in public. Uh, I really enjoy public speaking and uh, getting to communicate with people in person, online, over the phone. Uh, it also has a lot of, they were looking for somebody to kind of revamp the online presence. And so I have a lot of background in building websites and running social media. Uh, so that was part of the reason that the job appealed to me as well. Well, it seems like you fit right in. And I was looking at your website and really good. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> I appreciate <very> that. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to get into like some of the mosquito controls and um, just doing a little background about this, like there's some differences in like preventing mosquitoes, repelling, controlling. Yeah, the important thing to start with for people to understand is the mosquito life cycle, because uh, the mosquitoes, they spend a lot of their time in water. So their eggs are hatched either in or near water. And then the, the larva stage after the eggs hatch is in water for all species of mosquitoes. And then they go to the pupa stage, which is kind of like the cocoon stage if you compare it to a butterfly, and then they emerge as the adult mosquito, and that's the only time that they're not in water. Uh, and so when you think of preventing versus control or preventing versus repelling, preventing really in involves eliminating water, uh, eliminating their, their breeding habitat. So we do a lot of education on encouraging homeowners to check their yards for anything that could be holding standing water, especially right after the rainfall, um, anything that, you know, clogged gutters or bird baths that they don't refresh, um, or, you know, holding ponds or anything, low spots in their yard, even that could be holding that shallow standing water. Uh, that's that's uh, what preventing mosquitoes involves is just eliminating that habitat. And then you get into the control or the repelling side uh, where it, when they're, that's more focusing on the adult mosquitoes. So putting some, putting, you know, um, insect repellent on that's gonna prevent them from being able to find you. 
uh, anything from, you know, setting up a, a fan or a barrier to kind of push them away from you. So it's really kind of the, the preventing versus the control has a lot to do with uh, adult versus larva mosquitoes and the different kind of life cycle stages that they go through. Um, and when I, when we met at the junkyard, you guys talked a lot about, you know, the standing water found in junkyards and that a lot of that work seemed like it was more focused on the preventing aspect. Is that like, can you, like you guys do more of the preventing than the repelling and controlling or is it? Yeah. And then with control, there's, there's larval control, which is controlling them in the larval stage. And then there's the adult control, which is what people think of. Usually it's the, the fogging or the spraying. Um, but we as an agency focus primarily on preventing and then larval control. So we, we go through, like you said, we go through those junkyards or those, we, we get, we take requests from people in the area. If they're noticing standing water and in an area, we'll try to go eliminate it first. And if it's something that can't be eliminated, then we turn to the larval control materials. And that's when we're putting materials in the water to control and, and eliminate whatever mosquito larva might be forming there. Um, and so we, we spend, you know, the majority of our efforts on those first two items. And then adult control um, is mainly education and encouraging people to take, take on the resources to do their own kind of preventative measures. And in some instances, we will go out and do our own adult control treatments. And that's mainly in response to disease concerns when it comes to mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. What's like the primary form of education for that? Like, just like resources on the website or yeah, for, for all aspects of mosquito prevention, we have a web page. Uh, it's called our residence guide and it's for, it, it covers everything from preventing mosquito habitat and, and reducing mosquito habitat to how to control larva to controlling adult mosquitoes to even just some tips you can do in your yard to prevent them from um, coming around. And then also personal protective measures is a big educational aspect too, because if you're, you know, camping or something like that, you're, there's not much you can do to stop the mosquitoes from being out there. So the only mm -hmm. measures you can take are to protect, protect, protect yourself and your family and your pets and stuff like that from getting bitten by mosquitoes. So we do a lot of, um, you know, promoting people to use the right types of insect repellent, cover themselves up if they're going to be in mosquito habitat or active during mosquito peak times. Uh, and, and then just looking and, and trying to make sure that they're, what they wear is preventing them from getting bit by mosquitoes. Okay. What about some like preconceived ideas about mosquito controls? You know, I feel like in the media, there's some misconceptions of what works and what's better for you. And yeah, well, I think preconceived notions about us as an agency or just about mosquito control companies is that it's mm -hmm. mostly adult control. I think when people think of mosquito control, they think of the fog trucks that you used to yeah. see, you know, in the, in the seventies, haven't really seen that around as much anymore. Or you think of the guys with the backpack spraying, um, or, you know, going through yards and, and taking a fogger and go into the yards. But really we do very little adult control. Much of what we do, the majority of what we do is the, is controlling on the larva side. So the, one of the biggest things that we hear in the chatter around mosquito control is when our helicopters go out because mm. we do a lot of, a lot of um, the wetlands that we survey and that we cover are huge and too big to control on foot. And so we use helicopters. Um, so a lot of people um, see the helicopters and they get concerned, you know, are they dropping something that could potentially be toxic or could be harmful to the, the wetlands or to pets or to people or anything like that. Um, and so that's just the thing we try to educate people a lot about is the larval control materials that we use are extremely safe. They're um, designed specifically to control mosquito larva and not impact any non-target species. Um, 
They don't impact other insects like bees and butterflies. Uh, and they're really the safest materials out there. And that's why we focus on them because they're safe, because they're effective. Um, and because when the mosquitoes are in the water, it's a lot easier to control them because they're kind of focused in one area versus yeah. when they're adult mosquitoes and they're flying everywhere, they could be, you know, they could be in everybody's yard. And then it's kind of hard to, to get a handle on that. Yeah. And people maybe aren't really aware of their larva stage or they like, you know, they see mosquito, the adult mosquitoes zipping around. So maybe people are just obviously more in tune to that. So they, yeah, it's interesting because we've been this year, sort of, and last year, especially we've been in a drier year. Last year was a, a drought for most of the state. And this year there's parts that are under drought and it's just been a mm -hmm. low precipitation year. And so we're not seeing as many mosquitoes just overall, but we still have pockets where we're seeing, you know, kind of a lot, or we'll get calls from people that say, you know, mosquitoes are really bad in my neighborhood. And a lot of times if we go out there, we find there's a lot of man-made sources that aren't being mm. controlled. You know, people, because it's hot and, and dry out, people set up kiddie pools, but then they leave them set up or they got, you know, bird baths with oh, murky yeah. water and stuff like that. So um, it's a good, it's a good lesson for people and a good reminder for people to not create mosquito habitat by leaving out water for them. Yeah, and before I met with you guys, I feel like I just didn't know so much of this information. And I knew that there was obviously mosquito control agencies and companies out there, but I just feel like I learned so much during this meeting with you guys. So yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that we're a government yeah. service that oh. we're paid, we're, we're funded by property taxes. And so um, if you live in the district, um, we're, we're, you're part of our service area. And so we, we have great resources on our website where people can uh, request, we, we do free tire pickups for people who live in the area because waste mm -hmm. tires can produce a lot of mosquito habitat. So we come and we'll take those and recycle those for free for residents. Um, and then we also have a lot of resources where people can see where we're monitoring in their neighborhood. You can type in your address and you can see all of the areas of standing water, whether it's a small area like a like a uh, culvert or something like that, or whether it's a huge wetland um, that we're monitoring, you can see, you know, what we've, what we've done there the last time we checked it, everything, what we found, everything like that. So I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, we're a service that they're, that they're already receiving that's out there. And we encourage them to call us if they have questions or if there's a concern, or if, if they're just seeing a lot of mosquitoes and they think that something more needs to be done, they can yeah. call us and just let us know. Yeah. You guys are an awesome resource. Um, have you seen, like, since you started as the, like, public affairs communications associate, have you seen, like, an increase in awareness of what you guys are doing? It's hard to say because yeah. um, it's hard to say if it's been an increase in awareness. Uh, we definitely try to use a, a diverse uh, method, uh, methods of communication. So we do, you know, we do classroom presentations where we'll go talk to, you know, high school and junior high students. We'll go to um, community events and, and set up tables and talk to people. And then we do a lot of outline or online outreach through our social media and through our website and just encouraging people to find us online. Uh, and then traditional media outreach too. We're, we're featured in the news a couple times a year. Whenever Whenever uh, it's a slow news day, I always feel like we get a call from from the no local news stations wanting to know the mosquito update because yeah. <laughs> Minnesotans love talking about mosquitoes. Yeah, and we're true. happy to do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we we hope that people are becoming aware of us and just becoming aware of just the mosquito process in general because there are still a lot of people who I don't think realize how much mosquitoes and water are linked uh, and how yeah. much of an impact you can make just by eliminating water and reducing that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, or if a lot of times we'll have people who, you know, they bought, they just bought a new house in the middle of a swamp 
And then they call us and they're surprised that there's a lot of mosquitoes there. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like it, people need to have that education when they're making decisions about, you know, where to buy a house and mm-hmm. you know what to use in their yard and what, where to go and stuff like that. Yeah. Especially in the land of 10,000 lakes, you know, yeah, can't escape more, water. <laughs> even more swamps and ponds and, and wetlands and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I touch on any like misconceptions about mosquitoes, like, you know, effectiveness of various types and, you know, the claim of DEET. Yeah. Controversy around that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this up uh, because mm-hmm. I think this is something um, that some people are concerned about, you know, what is in the products that they use. Uh, people are concerned about, you know, chemical products that uh, anything that's, um, you know, they're putting on their body or on their families and stuff like that. But DEET has been widely shown to be very, very safe. Um, and there are actually, there's, I know there's four well-established active ingredients that are approved by the EPA. So that's the main thing that we tell people is when you're looking for a mosquito control or a, a bug spray, you want to look for something that's EPA approved because they not only test for safety, but they test for efficacy to make sure that it's actually repelling mosquitoes. Uh, and so there are a lot of natural products out there, uh, but not all of them have been tested to see if they're actually repelling mosquitoes. Um, but if people are all in on the natural, um, there's oil of lemon eucalyptus, um, which is a natural product. But what I learned recently, which I thought was really interesting was if you look at the product label and the CDC and the EPA approval, Mm -hmm. DEET has been approved for use in children two months and older. Wow. Oil of lemon eucalyptus, which is the all natural product has been approved in children two years and older. Mm. So it's actually safer to use DEET on a young child than it is to use an oil of lemon eucalyptus natural product. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to, you know, what's natural products and how the safety of those, because I mean, realistically, everything has been processed in some sort of way. And, uh, we, we get, um, people, you know, asking us all the time about certain natural remedies that they've, that they've heard of. Um, mm-hmm. and a lot of those haven't been scientifically tested to be either safe or effective. Um, some of them are actually more harmful than any of the products that are supposedly not natural, uh, and can have much more harmful non-target impacts than yeah. the natural products and can harm honeybees and can harm, uh, you know, butterflies and stuff like that, the things that we want to protect. Uh, so it's just really important for people to, you know, get all of the facts and really the facts come from the CDC, the EPA, the product label. Um, that's really where the, the, the best kind of sources of information and then look for those university studies that have been peer reviewed, uh, because there's a lot of information out there uh, that, you know, goes on on social media that's not necessarily fact checked or scientifically proven. Um, but so I encourage people whenever you say DEET and they kind of like go back, like, oh, I've, I've, I've heard bad things about DEET. Mm-hmm. Um, encourage them to say, you know, I try to encourage the conversation, you know, where did you hear it? You know, what are the things that you've heard? And then, you know, provide the information that we have. Um, and we're not, you know, we're not trying to sell DEET products or anything like that. We, we uh, have a couple products that we recommend that aren't necessarily just DEET, um, but mm-hmm. really it is, it's a safe product. Um, and really what you're looking for is, does it, does it repel mosquitoes? Because that's the goal. You're trying to reduce the likelihood of getting a mosquito-borne illness. And if you're only repelling, you know, 50% of the mosquitoes, then you're not necessarily getting uh, what you want out of the product. That reminds me, 
we always say that we're not for pesticides, we're not against pesticides, but we're trying to, we're for, you know, promoting the safe use of pesticides and the correct information that goes along with that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just getting getting the, the like you said, the correct information out there. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like that can spread really quickly before anybody's had a chance to give up, give the correct information. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of on, uh, on, on us and on other, you know, government agencies to, to be better at communications because mm-hmm. there are a lot of, um, you know, people who are really good at communicating or communications, but aren't necessarily the most knowledgeable on the topics they're communicating. So it's on us yeah. who have, have those studies to find a way to present those studies in a, in a way that people will want to read them. Well, going along with like the misinformation, do you know any like factors that determine the efficacy like if, of what products that work and don't work? Uh, one thing that I, uh, that I also learned is um, each product has a percentage of the active ingredient. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, let's say DEET, for instance, you can get DEET, you can get 5% DEET, you can get up to like 50, 60% DEET. I think they even yeah. sell like the, the crazy stuff. that's like up to like 80% DEET or more. And we've always said we recommend 30%. And I've always, I never really knew why we recommended 30%, but I learned that mm-hmm. um, the percentage is, it determines the length of effectiveness. Oh, so 5% DEET is going to last, you know, 45 minutes to an hour where and 30% is going to last eight to 10 hours. So that's why we, we've always recommended 30% because you really probably won't need it for longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so 30% will last, you know, a full day basically. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and it's the same with other products, other products too. The, the percentage of the active ingredient usually determines the length of time. So not necessarily it's the same amount of effectiveness, the percentageness, like 5% mm-hmm. is still going to give you as much protection as 30%. It's just the amount of time that it protects for, mm. which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Going off of that, you, you must have an inside scoop of like what works, what does yeah. not work. One thing that we find is very effective um, is permethrin. And we actually, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a specific brand of the product that we recommend, but um, it's a product that you apply to your clothes and gear. So you don't apply oh, yeah. it directly to your skin, um, but you apply it to your, your, you know, hiking boots or your pants, um, your backpacks and stuff like that. And that does a really good job of not only repelling mosquitoes, but actually controlling ticks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, unlike DEET, DEET essentially works by masking your body's sense sensors that attract mosquitoes so that they can't find you. Permethrin actually will kill the mosquitoes. Um, or ticks if they come in contact with that, that ingredient. So um, it's really effective at uh, controlling those, those uh, pesky mosquitoes and ticks, which a lot mm-hmm. of people are, I'm finding increasingly we're getting calls about ticks because um, mm-hmm. I think people are concerned about Lyme disease. And there's a lot of news stories lately about uh, other tick-borne illnesses uh, that, are, that are on the rise. And so I think people are looking for how to protect themselves against ticks. And so permethrin is a product we recommend um, as very effective if you apply it to your, uh, your clothing, especially your pants where they were yeah. pants and shoes where they are more likely to grab on. And then other than that, it's just, like I said, it's the EPA approval approved products, um, that you want to use. And then for, if you have, uh, like a, a low spot in your yard or an, uh, wetland or an area where you have water that needs to be um, controlled for mosquitoes that you can't just get rid of. Um, some larval control products that work really good. BTI is the main one. Um, BTI is really effective. Uh, it's been used for 
many, many decades and has shown no um, evidence of insecticide resistance. And uh, it just, it will control the mosquito larva and you can buy different formulations of it. Some are slow release. So it'll last like 30 days. Some mm -hmm. are just uh, a quick release of so the last, you know, a couple days. Um, but you can buy them in dunks or pellets or anything like that. So that's a really good product that we recommend as well. You see any or hear any products and you're like, oh, you should not be <laughs> using that or more of like the natural remedies. Uh, there's, there's a couple that I, I don't necessarily cringe, um, but I always am just like, where's the evidence mm. that I wonder about? And so a, a lot of essential oils um, people want to use because those are kind of popular now, but there's not yeah. a lot of evidence, especially for, you know, if you're spraying a, an entire yard. And that's another thing that kind of always makes me think of like the natural versus not natural. Like in, if you live in like a suburban yard in Minnesota, it's not necessarily natural to have your whole yard smell like garlic. Yeah. <laughs> like that's not, that, that's not necessarily natural just because the product itself is natural. It's not yeah. natural to spray it all over the place. Um, so just consider factors like that. Like talk to a professional, they'll recommend the best safest product for your yard and for um, the, the climate and the environment and stuff like that. Okay. Um, yeah, that, I mean, we've touched on media a little bit, but like, do you see like, you know, increase of media describing to these products or like saying to use, cause I know there is kind of like a rise of natural products being deemed as better. Do you see that too? I think fr from my experience, the the, what we think of as the traditional media, like the mm -hmm. news stations, the newspapers, they do a pretty good job of getting the research in, or, yeah. or at least doing the research or asking a, an expert before they publish or before they say anything. Um, so I think it's more the online space that yeah. we're seeing a growing rise of um, misinformation or just incomplete information or people making bold claims without any scientific evidence. Um, we see a lot of that. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard because, I mean, there's a million tweets and Facebook posts and everything per day. Yeah. You can't, you know, be responsible for everything that comes out or respond to everything that comes out, but we try to put out our own information. And my, my philosophy on it has been the more we can educate people, you know, high school students, uh, anybody, you know, the public who, who might interact with us, the more that we can educate them before they encounter that information, the more likely they are to respond either on behalf of, you know, MMCD or somebody else with the correct information. Mm. Um, and then just not, not necessarily go for it. So it's, it's kind of on, our, on us to be proactive and put as much information out there as we can and, and reach as many people as we can so that when they do encounter incorrect information online, they have a kind of a baseline to go off of and, and understand that it might not be correct what they're hearing. Yeah. We just launched a new consumer program for pesticide safety. Yeah. Instead of like only be focused on agricultural folks and farmers, we're focusing on like everyday people who might use pesticides in their everyday life without realizing they're pesticides. So yeah. we're trying to be pesticide proactive. smart, right? Yep. Be pesticide smart. Um, yeah. So we're just trying to be proactive in the same sense of, you know, people might not realize the cleaning products they're using have our pesticides and, you know, they need to be used safely. So we're trying to educate people before they're like, oh, I only use natural or I don't use any pesticides because they're only thinking of, you know, the more conventional products. So 
Yeah, what I find is interesting too is a lot of the the, com- the commercial companies um, mm-hmm. they're being really kind of creative in the way that they name their products, even mm-hmm. though they're using the exact same thing that that we would use or anything like that. But I saw yeah. something the other day. It was like um, they claim they're using chrysanthemum extract. Oh. And I was like, chrysanthemum extract is permethrin. Like that's basically <laughs> what it is. It's, yeah. I mean, it's a permethrin is a synthetic version of it, but it's basically the exact same thing. So, but a consumer might hear, oh, chrysanthemum extract, that's safe. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a synthetic product isn't, but it's going to have the exact same impact. You have the exact same risks for non-target species uh, and stuff like that. So just be careful with when you're hearing, you know, all these terms, um, because really like the product label should give you exactly what the safety, the safety precautions should be. So just don't necessarily fall for the marketing. Yeah. Yeah, They're getting clever with those. Yeah. (laughs) What about, so uh, like we talked about natural remedy remedies, um, like the risks with natural and you said like a lot of them aren't regulated or don't come from the EPA. Yeah, they or they haven't been approved. Haven't, they haven't been, been approved. They haven't been registered by the EPA, so the EPA hasn't even looked at them. Uh, and a lot of times, that means that no one has necessarily looked at them, uh, or the proper channels haven't been gone through. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I feel like just I used to work in like a natural grocery store, and we were always told that you know these natural is always better, it's always safer, and just learning more, you know, you have to do your own research and maybe some people believe that and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not inherently safer is what I've come to learn from my own research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. I I think there's some people who just, um, for, for, you know, moral reasons or whatever, they only want to use the natural products. And that's why I say there are natural products out there that have been reviewed by the EPA, Uh, but you just want to be, not everything has been. So you just want to make sure that before you're using a product or if you're going to use a product that claims to do something, you should make sure that it's gone through the proper channels to be, you know, to be tested and vetted because like I said, it, it could be all natural and, and smell good and be safe and stuff like that. But if it's only repelling 50% of the mosquitoes during peak West Nile virus season, that's not really doing the job. Um, that's not really going to keep you safe and keep, you know, the, the people safe that you're trying to protect. Yeah. And the other Uh, thing too is, um, sorry, uh, a lot of the products that are everyday mosquito control products that people might be hesitant about are also found elsewhere for other reasons. So like I brought up permethrin, but permethrin is actually used for flea and tick control for pets. So mm -hmm. if you have a dog, um, people may have applied permethrin directly to them. And also I, one of my, I have two kids and one of my kids had head lice earlier this summer. And the product that we bought over the counter to, to control it was a permethrin was the active yeah. ingredient. Um, and so like, I'm sure people won't, if, if, if your kid has head lice, you don't think twice to go buy whatever they, the doctor recommends. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're applying the same active ingredient that you would use if you're going to do a yard um, spray or something like that for mosquito control. Um, so I think people don't need to be as concerned for those, those products that are out there. Cause they're, if they're being used in a safe manner, they're going to be really effective and safe. Yeah. Just use them according to the label. Exactly. <laughs> I've learned, you know, label is the law. Yes. These products. Speaking of like the diseases before I met with you guys, I wasn't really aware that the mosquitoes in Minnesota could carry diseases. Are people aware of that? Or is that just 
me and my own ignorance. I think when people think of mosquito-borne disease, they think of, you know, sub-Saharan climates where malaria and, you know, Zika and dengue fever. And those are really the more dangerous worldwide mosquito-borne diseases. And because of our climate in Minnesota and our cold winters, we don't see a lot of the species that can carry those deadly diseases. But we do have species here that carry local diseases. Uh, Mm -hmm. The main one is West Nile virus. Uh, That's the most common mosquito-borne disease in Minnesota. Came in 2002, um, and there's been human cases just about every year since then, Um, and then horse cases as well. And then there's some other diseases that we look out for that aren't as prevalent. Lacrosse encephalitis is a disease that can harm young children. Uh, Jamestown Canyon virus is a disease that um, is spread by spring mosquitoes, we believe, and it's Mm kind of most prevalent in the Minnesota, Wisconsin region. Uh, and then there's also a new one that's kind of, that we're on the lookout for, it's Eastern equine encephalitis. And that one, there's never been a human case in Minnesota, but uh, there have been horse cases in Minnesota. And the reason we look out for that one is because that one has a very high mortality rate. It's very dangerous, up to 30% of people who contract the disease die from it. Oh, wow. So it's extremely dangerous. Uh, and so we're we're doing our best to be proactive against that one. But yeah, I think it's important for people to know that there are mosquito-borne diseases because um, most people just think that they're protecting themselves from mosquitoes for annoyance reasons, just because yeah. no one likes to be bit. But it's really, there's, there's a reason why mosquito control exists and it's for the public health side um, to protect from mosquito-borne diseases. And it's an important message that we try to talk about this time of year because August and early September is when West Nile virus tends to peak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a year like this year and last year, uh, when it's dry and people aren't experiencing a lot of just overall mosquitoes, they're less likely to take precautions like wear bug spray. Um, but what's interesting was last year, there were um, not a lot of annoyance mosquitoes are out because it was a drought year, but there were more human cases of West Nile virus mm-hmm. in 2021 than there were the preceding year. Um, And that's because the mosquitoes that can transmit the disease are container breeding mosquitoes. Uh, They don't necessarily rely on rain as much. And so they're still active and they like, you know, hot, dry temperatures. Um, And so that's kind of when they thrive. And so people still need to take those precautions uh, and wear the the bug spray, you know, cover up if you're gonna be out in the evening hours and stuff like that, just because um, all it takes is one mosquito bite and it can have some bad consequences. Now, on the other hand, I don't like to scare people and make it sound like, you know, all mosquitoes are dangerous, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's just a precaution we like to make sure that people are aware of. More education awareness. Yeah. Shaping that. Um, Is there anything, well, I guess you said there is a couple new diseases, but anything else like new and emerging that people should know about? There's a lot of interesting new mosquito research always being developed uh, and tick research as well. We do, uh, we're, we're mosquito control, but we do tick surveillance as well. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so like in the mosquito world, in the Southern warmer climates, they're doing some experiments with gem- genetic modification and releasing um, sterile male mosquitoes that have been genetically modified to be unable to reproduce uh, mm-hmm. that then they'll reproduce, or they'll mate with a female who's unable to lay eggs and then hopefully to reduce a certain species that's likely to carry disease. So we're watching that closely because that's pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. then in the tick world, there's a, a Lyme vaccine, Lyme disease vaccine that's oh. currently going trials that's very promising. Um, so we're watching that one as well because Lyme disease cases have been growing. Uh, and in Minnesota, as we've, it used to be kind of, you know, Southern 
Dakota County and the Twin Cities, at least Southern Dakota County, you know, Southeastern Washington County. But now it's moved up in pretty much any county in the Twin Cities, you'll find ticks mm -hmm. that are carrying Lyme disease. So um, it's really become quite prevalent. That's another thing that we're kind of watching out for. So that's all like my main talking points. Do you have anything else you'd like to add or anything else of interest to you? The one thing that I like to also talk to people about is mm -hmm. a concern that comes up often is, you know, if you're controlling mosquitoes, not only are they asking, you know, what, what um, harm is your, are your products doing to other species, but also like what happens if you eliminate too many mosquitoes, will mm -hmm. the bats survive? Will the, will the birds starve? Stuff like that. And so there's been a lot of studies on this. Uh, and I think it's important. I think it's a good question because naturally people will think, you know, what happens if we get rid of all the mosquitoes? I mean, some people would say, let's do everything we can to get rid of all the mosquitoes. And a lot yeah. of public health people and a lot of public health entomologists would say that. Um, but then there's the other side of people saying, you know, what, what environmental impact would that have? Um, and so there's some good research about, um, you know, bat diets and bird diets. And actually it was recently, this, the CDC recently did a, a study and they found that mosquitoes only make up a little less than 2% of a bat's diet. They oh. prefer larger insects like moths and beetles that are going to have more caloric intake. Uh, they're opportunists and they'll feed on, you know, the, the most abundant bugs in an area. So eliminating mosquitoes isn't going to harm them specific, uh, particularly. And same thing with uh, birds. The purple martin is there was a story many, many years ago, anecdotally, that said a purple martin eats 2,000 mosquitoes a day. Uh, and that was later debunked uh, and mm -hmm. found that they eat almost no mosquitoes. Mm. Um, they eat larger insects like dragonflies. Uh, that's one of their main staples of their diet. So there, is, there isn't any species that relies on mosquitoes as their primary food source. Um, but at the same time, we're not trying to eliminate mosquitoes. We focus on the mosquitoes that are the biggest public health risk and are the largest causes of nuisance and of just annoyance for people. And then we, we leave alone the mosquitoes that we know don't harm people, that don't bite humans, that feed on um, birds or um, other species that aren't mammals. Um, and so we, our focus is you know, the public health side uh, and then really just making people have a livable life here in the Twin Cities. Yeah. Uh, and we really do care a lot about the environment and about you know, non-target insect species and everything um, along the way to make sure that we're being safe. We're using products that are proven to work and proven safe for our staff to handle and for the public mm -hmm. to potentially be in contact with. Um, and then also we just try to, try to make sure that we're, we're doing everything that we can to protect our environment and our ecosystem while controlling the species that are most likely to cause harm. Awesome. I'm a big fan of what you guys do because <laughs> I mean, nobody likes mosquitoes, but you got to make sure you're, you know, doing it safely and not harming the environment or yourselves. Exactly. And that's the same message that we have to homeowners because mm -hmm. uh, people will sometimes, if it's especially if it's a bad mosquito year, people will go to the store and they'll buy products that they can spray in their yard and I, I suspect that when people are wanting to get rid of mosquitoes, they don't necessarily read and follow everything on that label. Yeah. Their goal is to just, you know, spray until the mosquitoes are gone. And so it's important to not only, you know, educate on what we're doing, but also like if you're going to do any DIY mosquito control options, take the right steps to make sure you're doing it safely because mm -hmm. you don't want to, you know, 
kill a bunch of honeybees or, or, you know, like spray a bunch of milkweed. And then all of a sudden the monarchs are having a a problem because there's already insects that are struggling. And so you don't want to do anything that um, potentially harms those non-target species. So take those safety precautions. And if you don't know, call somebody, the manufacturer of the product, they want you to use it right. So they'll answer any questions that you have. We have a resource on our website where people can call us um, or call a, a commercial company that's a, that's been through the the training and, and you know is on the Department of Agriculture's list of approved vendors um, because they know that they they're doing it safely and they're following the label because the label is the law and they'll get in trouble yep. if they don't. Yep. Um, you may have touched on this before, but so is mostly working with like individual people and people who call in and say that they suspect there's a lot of mosquito breeding areas or do you ever work with like commercial like businesses or yeah we do we do all of the above we work with we work a lot with cities um sometimes cities will call it because a lot of people they'll see something mosquito control related and they don't realize that there's a, a a private entity or our own entity that does everything so they'll call the city first and the city will call us Mm -hmm. um and then, you know, we work with individuals a lot. A lot of people call us just for basic mosquito control questions. Um, we try to emphasize to people that we don't do private mosquito control for that. They have to call a commercial company, but we like to know those reports. Like if somebody's saying, you know, mosquitoes are really bad in my neighborhood and it's a dry year, I don't understand why. We like to know about that. We'll try to send somebody out to investigate and see um, what's causing it. Um, and then we also have our own system where we set up traps and uh, we do sweet net collections every Monday night to determine, you know, where mosquitoes are most prevalent in an area. Uh, So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of science and data that's collected that goes into it. So like maybe the main difference between you and like the other mosquito control companies is that you're not like, you're not a commercial business. You don't go out and really spray people like people's yards. Yeah. We, okay. we like to work alongside them and, we, and okay. we, we always say that we're, we're not, you know, competitors, we're partners uh, and a great metaphor that one of our staff came up with that I really like is think of us, think of MMCD, like the snow plows, uh, when, a, when a big blizzard comes, the snow plows, they come and they plow the streets, but they're mm-hmm. not going to come shovel your driveway and they're not going to come, you know, shovel your alley necessarily, uh, or your sidewalk that for that, you either have to do it yourself or you have to call somebody. And mm-hmm. that's basically how we operate too. So we're going to go, we're going to monitor the big wetlands, the ponds, you know, the big, the big mosquito habitat that we're aware of, um, as well as the parks and the public areas. Uh, but for people who are like, I've got a big yard and mosquitoes are bad. We can maybe, you know, look around the area to see if there's something in the neighborhood breeding a lot of mosquitoes. But like, if you're having a, a party or something like that, you call one of those commercial guys and they'll come out and they'll they'll make sure that mosquitoes are reduced for your event or just for a summer long program. Awesome. I feel like I have a better knowledge and understanding of your organization because of this. I didn't know that you guys were a government agency. Um, I think that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, we're, uh, we're actually heading to the state fair next week. We have our oh, own booth cool. at the state fair and they put us in the dairy building, which is an oh. interesting place, but it, we, we love the space because it's a lot of traffic. But everybody mm-hmm. thinks we're selling stuff because we're oh. right sandwiched in the middle of, you know, other, we're right next to like a guy who does like this little, bl- sells like a blender and has like the microphone and does like the demonstrations. Oh, yeah. So people think that we're selling stuff too. So we made a big banner this year that says we're a government organization. We work for you. <laughs> Ask us a question so that yeah. hopefully people will want to come and interact with us. 
Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. We, we also have a booth at the state fair, so yeah, you know, we'll run into each other. That's really all I got for you. Um, I think I've learned a lot and I think we covered a lot of good topics. Well, thank you again so much for meeting with me. I really appreciate this. And Absolutely. And thanks for you listeners out there for tuning in. And I hope you learned a little bit about the Metropolitan Mosquito Control District and mosquito controls and misconceptions. That's all I have for you today. Thank you. Remember to like and subscribe and I'll see you all next time.